welcome to a Writer's Life Podcast with your host, Dana Wayne. If you've ever wondered how a writer's brain works, this is the podcast for you. Now, sit back and relax as she shares the successes and challenges of her journey from writer wannabe to award-winning romance author. Now, here's your host, Dana Wayne. Practically every writer I know struggles with the dreaded writer's block in some form or fashion with everything they write. For me, I think it happens more frequently because I'm a pantser, meaning I usually write by the seat of my pants. I don't plot, I don't outline or anything. I just write till words stop coming. When the words dry up in one story, I go back to my trusty to-be-written file and pull out something else. Nine times out of ten, I can put some words down on it. If not, I'll go pick another one, because that's the key. Write something, anything. Don't say, oh gosh, the words aren't coming. I guess my muse is dead. I might as well go clean the house. Because that's the worst thing you can do. Well, not that cleaning the house is bad. I have to do that in time. But for me anyway, once I stop writing for any reason, I'm done for the day. In my current work in progress, I have struggled with these two chapters for weeks. I mean weeks. I lost count of the number of times I changed stuff in one, trying to make it fit the other, only to trash the whole thing and start over. I picked that sucker up and put it down countless times because I just wasn't happy with where it was going. I'd write something and send it to my critique partner. She'd look it over and say, well, I like this, but, you know, this doesn't work here. Or, girl, you have just totally lost the thread. It was and is an incredibly frustrating thing to know something is wrong but not have a clue how to fix it. Such is the curse of a pantser. Then, earlier this week, I was eating breakfast one day, and it came to me in a flash. I was in the way. Again. I was trying to make the story go where I thought it should go versus letting the story tell me where it wanted to go. Now, for non-writers, this is typically a hard concept to relate to, but to writers, it makes perfect sense. Once you have, in essence, given life to a story, it can and will take over your writing. I can't tell you how many times something that happened made me go, wow, I didn't see that coming, because I didn't. It wasn't something that I planned on, or outlined, or plotted. It was something that just happened when I let the story take the lead. Monday, for example. After my breakfast epiphany, I went back to the office, pulled up that story, took out those pesky two chapters, and moved them down to the bottom of the page, and started over. I cut and pasted some of the sections I liked into the new section, and just kept writing. And then, all of a sudden, Out of nowhere, this character appears, a sister to my heroine, a narcissistic I-have-to-be-the-center-of-everything wench that I had no clue existed until that moment. And that is the coolest part of being a pantser. You get these aha moments that make you laugh or cry or shout out loud or say cuss words because your story just hit a slick spot and sent you off on another plot line. And it's rare that I don't use those aha moments, because they usually end up fitting in the story somewhere. I may tweak them a bit as I go, depending on what it is to make it work with the story, but the essence of it stays where it formed. 
couple of years ago, I did some research on what to do to get rid of writer's block. The first tip I saw was that you should step away from your preferred genre and write something else. Like what? Well, when was the last time you updated your bio? Is it the same on all your social media sites? Is it professional? Polished? Does it need to be redone? There's your project. Have you ever written a press release for yourself? I don't know about you, but where we are, we're a small town. So typically, anything I write, you know, or I submit, they'll ends up in the paper. And I always do this for a new release or if I won some type of reward or recognition or maybe if I spoke at a local service club or something like that, they'll always publish it. And I've gotten several speaking engagements over those deals. So do yourself a press release. What about free writing? Have you ever tried to just sit and write and see what happens? No edits, no planning, just words, just writing. Doesn't even have to make sense. Just getting words on paper. Poetry. Poetry is a great way to keep creative juices flowing. Again, doesn't have to be Pulitzer Prize winning stuff or even make a point. It's just writing, getting something down on paper. This is something, gosh, I probably wrote 20 years ago. But it was the result of one of those just writing something to see what happens. Uh, I had this word, somebody said something about cheating and it sparked a thought. And then this was the result. I cheated again. I just couldn't help it. That chili dog looked too good. And when they passed around chocolate cake, I took it. They knew it would. The candy, the Cokes, the chips soon followed. Hell, I just couldn't wait to get it all swallowed. Now I'm so bloated, so full I could pop, because when I got started, I just couldn't stop. And then I got on the scales, and I looked down. Oh, my stars. I've gained five pounds. That does it. I quit. I won't cheat again because my zippers can't pay the wages of sin. Now see? Okay, well I digress. Anyway, now if you're really down and out, what about hammering out a little five-minute pity party for one? I mean a no-holes-barred, woe-is-me, writing-sucks lament. The more pathetic, the better. Get it out and then get on with the program. On the flip side, maybe you just need a little encouragement. In that case, write a five-minute letter of encouragement to your sad self. Think about what you would say to a friend in need of a pick-me-up speech, and then do that for yourself. And mail it. When it comes, open it, read it, then put it where you can see it. When you need a little pick-me-up, there you go. But this is one of my favorite ideas of all of them, or favorite suggestions. Read something you wrote that you really, really liked and then read it again, because that is where your muse resides. There, in the words that inspired you or moved you or or meant something to you at the time you wrote them. The bottom line of practically everything I read was to keep writing something, anything, every day, no matter what it was, because in constantly stirring that creative pot, the juices would remain flowing simmering there in your brain so that when you burst through that wall, you would be ready to hit the ground running. I hope these tips have helped you the next time writer's block invades your creative space. (music) 
Next, I thought I'd read to you an excerpt from my second book, Mail Order Groom. Emma is 25. Her dad thinks he's dying, and he wants her to get married. But she wants none of it, or nothing to do with any of the cowboys in their small town. So, undaunted, he advertises for a groom. This is Chapter 2 from that book. Tyler Roundtree entered the Broken Spur Saloon and paused. Hooded gray eyes scanned the room, marked the position of each customer as well as doors and windows before he sauntered toward the Warren Oak Bar. He angled to the right, his back to the wall where the door and room remained visible. The bartender, a huge barrel of a man, his face a mass of wrinkles, gaze heavy-lidded and bored, wiped the counter as he approached. What'll it be, mister? Whiskey, the good stuff. Leave the bottle. Ty grabbed the items, dropped coins on the bar, and moved to a table in the corner. He sipped the potent drink, enjoying the pungent bite as it slid down his throat to warm his near-empty belly. Brim of his worn Stetson pulled low. He missed nothing around him. Not for the first time, he asked himself why he accepted the job at Twin Oaks two weeks ago. The fact that Henry Owens talked him into it spoke volumes for their friendship. They served together in the war, and Henry returned home and married Sarah five years ago. Ty still searched for a home to return to. On Ty's last visit to the Owens ranch, Henry advised him the Marshall foreman died after being thrown from a wild Mustang. With Henry's recommendation and encouragement, Ty applied for the job, and here he sat, putting off the moment he would meet his new employer with a mixture of dread and anticipation. Laughter from a nearby table drew his gaze toward it. What on earth made you think you had a chance with her, Lucky? The question from a young cowboy came from a young cowboy, slender as a reed, hair the color of iron ore rocks, whose prominent Adam's apple bobbed wildly when he spoke. Hell, she'd eat you alive and spit out your bones. The one referred to as Lucky ducked his head and grunted. Yeah, well, at least she didn't kick my ass like she did that feller from the Bentley place. His comment brought another round of laughter from the group. Lucky snorted. He should have known better than try to kiss her. She's prickly as a cactus. His cohorts bobbed their head in silent agreement. You gonna give it a try, Slim? The red-headed cowboy spoke up. Hell no. I mean, she's pretty as a speckled pup when she fixes up. But I got no desire to bet a woman who's tall as me can out-shoot, out-cuss, and outride me. More nods from the group. I mean, who wouldn't want Twin Oaks? 3,000 acres of the best water and grazing around? Mm. Old man Marshall done a fine job with it. Too bad he raised her to be a boy instead of a girl. Sure is a shame, said Lucky. It is for a fact. Slim glanced at Ty. Say, mister, you here to try your luck? Ty looked up but didn't reply. You here cause of them posters? Slim shook his head. I can't believe old man Marshall had notices stuck up all over the place looking for her a husband. Ty's curiosity overrode his natural aloofness. She that bad? A chorus of hell knows greeted his question. She can be right pretty, offered one cowboy. Slim, kind of tall, though. Brownish hair and crazy green eyes. Yeah, said Lucky. It's like she can see right through a man. 
Got a smart mouth, though, declared another from the group. Don't know a woman's place. Yeah, said Lucky. She runs Twin Oaks like a man, even wears breeches. And that's bad. Ty's question held a note of sarcasm the group didn't seem to notice. Well, yeah, said the leader of the group. A woman should be doing woman stuff like cooking and having babies, not branding cattle. I help out there from time to time, offered the man nearest Slim. Last year, I seen her wrestle this bull calf to the ground and castrate him right then and there. Lucky actually shuddered. A woman ought not do that. Ty's attention swung to the front door where the squeak of rusty hinges announced another arrival. A man entered and stopped, surveying the room with a commanding air of self-confidence. He wore a black derby hat cocked over one heavy brow, and an unlit cigar protruded from the corner of thin lips. He wore a dark suit and tie, even though the Texas heat steadily climbed. He stood about six feet tall, with broad shoulders and an arrogant swagger. He strode toward the cowboy's table and stopped. He removed the cigar from his mouth and sniffed it, disdainful smile aimed at Lucky. I hear things didn't go well today. Lucky avoided looking at the man, bright flush on his cheeks. So what? The man patted him on the shoulder, gaze shifting to Ty as he spoke. Told you it was a waste of time. Emma's mine. You all best remember that. The hair on the back of Ty's neck tingled like it did the time he walked up on a rattlesnake ready to strike. The man eyed him a moment, then stepped forward. Haven't seen you around here before. Haven't been here before. Name's Hank Walker. He held out his hand. Ty eyed the hand, but made no move to shake. Tyler Roundtree. Well, Mr. Roundtree, no mister, just Tyler. I see. Well, Tyler, what's your business here in Bakersville? Ty sipped his whiskey, right hand dropping to grip the handle of the colt strapped to his leg. Don't see as how my business is any of yours. Walker's smile never reached his eyes. If you're here about Emma Marshall, you can leave now. The last thing he needed or wanted was to get in the middle of somebody else's problem. Already this job had earmarks of trouble in spades. He had no doubt he'd just met an adversary. One with his eye on Emma Marshall, who he assumed to be his new employer's daughter. But he promised Henry he would take this job until they found someone else, and he would not break his word. Plus, he didn't like Walker on sight and had no qualms about provoking him. What if I am? As I said, you can leave now. And if I don't care to? Chair legs scraped against the wo- rough wood floor as Slim and his companions moved toward the door. I'm the marshal's attorney. Walker pulled his coat open to show he carried no gun. I have their best interest in mind. Ty studied the man intently. Evil eyes. That include Miss Marshall? You looking out for her best interest too? Walker's nostrils flared and his jaw tightened. When he spoke, his voice was cold and flat. She's none of your concern. Ty sipped his whiskey. Well, since I'm the new foreman and she's the boss's daughter, I reckon she is my concern. 
Walker flinched, gaze darting around to see who might have heard him. Since when? Since I was hired two weeks ago. He never mentioned that to me. The man's arrogance grated on Ty's nerves. Not my concern. He pushed his chair back, nodded toward the irritated man, and ambled out the door, certain he had not heard the last from Hank Walker. Thanks for listening to a Writer's Life podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and greatly appreciate your feedback and support. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss future episodes and follow Dana on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram or visit her website, danawayne.com. Have a great week. See you next episode.